I'm Jason Bailey-Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. Today's guest is Sue Kim. There's very few people in L.A. that I respect more than Sue Kim. She's been teaching at Otis for over 20 years now and is a working artist and has been represented by multiple galleries and collected by places like the Getty. The conversation we have is really open and honest. It's about being an educator and how she goes about her daily routine of teaching as well as balancing an art practice at the same time. In that, we also talk about being an established artist who doesn't have a gallery at the moment and what that means to her practice and how she actually functions in the studio now. She also gives some details into arts education and the role that schools play here in Los Angeles and how they function and create the arts community and what the importance of that arts community means to all the people involved in it. I wanted to say thank you so much, Sue, for taking the time to be on the show. And here's Sue. Sue. Yes. Thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you, Jason. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> First of all, we met through Phil Chang, I believe, right? Or how did we meet? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I feel I feel Phil's presence was there. I think it was for when um Matt and or Hannah were here. Oh, and we met yes. at a bar. Okay, so let's course. give let's give some background. Phil Chang's a photographer. Matt uh Porter and Hannah Whitaker are both photographers. Uh, they show at MB Gallery. Uh, all of them. All of them. It's a little gaggle of MB artists. <laughs> so we met through that, but then uh, you were kind enough to invite me to give a lecture at Otis. Yes, and um, and it was a great lecture. Um, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So you are the program director of photography at Otis, mm-hmm. and you have been there how long? Well, I've been teaching there for. 20 years. It was one of my first teaching jobs, along with other teaching jobs when I graduated from grad school. So yeah, Otis was one of my first teaching jobs, and I was part-time adjunct there for a million years, like literally like six, maybe like 12 years. And then um, and then I decided to be, or I didn't decide to be, <laughs> I became full-time. They offered you the position? <laughs> yeah. I was tenure track before that um, for a long time, like maybe seven or eight years. And after that, I just didn't want to be full time. And so I was really hesitant about it. Before you took the job as a director? As full time at Otis. So, okay, this is a, this is something I wonder. You have been doing this for 20 years as a, Mm -hmm. as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Have you seen a change in the ability for professors to actually exist off those salaries? No, it's always been difficult. It's always been terrible? It de- no, it's just difficult, I think. But it's it, it depends on where you're teaching, not just specifically the institution itself, but what kind of institution it is, whether it's a research institution or a teaching institution, teaching college or a, a research college. What do you um, classify Otis as? Well, it's an arts. <laughs> is it a liberal arts college? It, it's an art school. So for most schools, it's both. You have to always have a career and you always have to have an exhibition history um, as well as teach. But for example, at UCLA or some of um, the Ivy League colleges, you can do, you are required to do less teaching because 
impetus want you to impetus show. on research and, and exhibitions and all of those things, whatever form it might take, is so important. So it's balanced at some, like I was tenure track at LMU and that's a teaching university. And so the f- way that you were ranked or judged was through your teaching more than your career. So um, the focus was more on teaching. You had to teach a lot. Well, and obviously, or maybe not obviously, a majority of the MFA programs, the the, the larger, like SVA, Columbia, and those type of things, it's all based on your prestige. Mm-hmm. So it's your your history of showing in your CV. Right. I mean, it's really uneven. I, we had a really interesting email exchange among a lot of us uh, artists who are teaching at different schools from like Harvard, UCLA, USC, every, you when know, was a, this? a few years ago, probably. I can't remember exactly what year, but it was, it was an email exchange that involved a lot of people from across the country, from Chicago, from New York. Friends or how Yeah, you it's all friends. Um, but you know, it's a problem because there is an, uh, a lack of equivalency in teaching, right? Like, so at Harvard, you can teach one class a year and get paid more. And it's a prestige thing as well, right? There are lots and lots of factors that come into it. Get paid more than what? Than you contemporary in a different city? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, So everything is really different, but but every faculty member has to kind of fight to get kind of time for their studio practice to be a measure, an important measure for their ranking or whatever. So anyway, there was an interesting email exchange, but it really showed all of the kind of discrepancies in workload and pay. Yeah, it's different. I mean, there's so many factors. I think in LA, artists are really, we're in a very um, fortunate position where being an educator is a really fortunate thing. Not that it's not a great thing in London or New York, but there's so many artists in so many good art schools in LA, I feel like, you know, it's, there's a lot, there's a long history of teaching well, too. From the community like, is based around the art schools as well. It really is here more so than like any other know, place, I've any been. other place. Yeah. So it's really great. And it's really difficult because there's a lot of interest and demand and, and not a lot of classes, you know, from speaking for myself, I mean, I've loved teaching and it's been really useful for my life and practice and and all of that stuff i mean i I feel fortunate every day to be able to spend time thinking about art i mean i think that as artists you know as an artist i've tried to find ways of supporting myself in the past and all of these things i've really liked and have informed me but teaching is is a very special thing where i get to you know talk with um, other artists regularly and to talk with young artists regularly and that's that's really a privilege, I think. Do you think it pushes you to do your own work? I think it has sometimes, but I think also it hasn't. I mean, it's... It's got to be a drain sometimes as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very... Um, for, for for example, when I first started teaching, I was so excited to teach. Like, I didn't make work for a couple of years. I was just so into teaching. It sounds absurd. No, I can totally <laughs> see that. I get, into, uh, I get into things and I don't go back to the studio practice for an yeah. extended period of time. I was so excited about thinking about new courses, not specific, that, that had nothing to do with my work, for example. But it was a way to kind of think about things that I was interested in and parlay that through a different kind of avenue, for example, without putting everything into my work, did, which I found satisfying. Did you have a gallery at the time or not? I did. So how did I, they feel about it? I was like low on the dough. So they didn't so give a shit. I don't care. <laughs> no, they were fine with it. And they were supportive. And I, and I think that like in... I can speak more, most, you know, best about LA because I've been here forever. But um, like, I think that galleries here understand the relationship between teaching and being an artist. So it, it was, it was never like it was a never an problem. issue. And yeah, and I was a young artist, and so 
it wasn't like I what had the you know a particularly high demand for or anything well, like that. Right, but I also wonder if uh, probably the art fairs weren't as prevalent then. No, as not well. then. So, not like it was just beginning, and it was um, and it was. Yeah, it was something that, you know, artists wanted to do and wanted to get their own booth and do, you know. One of the things I see in in the issue with the fairs is that there's a, a need for product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that downtime or the ability to have downtime in the studio, they always want to see something new. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to, it has to be ready at the, at the moment that they think it. <laughs> right. You don't have time to actually right. put a concept through and process right. the information. And if you're actually having a hard time in the studio figuring out where you need to be just in your own practice yeah you don't have that that luxury yeah yeah I mean um I don't know it's it's really difficult but when when I was doing a lot of teaching for like no money at like 30 different schools <laughs> um it was okay because I didn't have that kind of pressure on um towards production and stuff like that but you know I don't know if this is this will make sense but for me teaching and like curating and doing all of this other stuff was a way for me to kind of figure out my practice. Like I felt like I had to, I was really interested in doing a lot of different things and that really helped me shape my practice. And it's really different now than when I was, you know, 20 years ago because I'm not a young person, but. um, (laughs) (laughs) You're not that old either, by the way. (laughs) But I was thinking about that specifically with you because you do so much. I mean, this podcast alone kind of blows my mind that you can. I'm not a young person. (laughs) I don't. Th- I don't think age dictates <laughs> the volume of of work you can do at a certain totally, level. Totally, totally. But I, but I've known for myself that was an important part of my thinking about myself as an artist and not just as a person. That I wanted to do all of these things. Like I thought I could fold in writing and curating and doing teaching and right. doing all of this stuff. And now I don't. I can't do all of this stuff. And I'm not saying that I'm like geriatric, but I just. Uh, <laughs> It's it's taken me a long time to kind of acclimate myself to the fact that I can't do all of these different things I, that I really love and well, wish I could. Well, I it's a it's a drain, right? We were just <laughs> talking before we came out on the show. I have a hard time doing that even now, where it's just having a full time job, a studio practice, children. You have kids, so it's kid. like kid. I have kids. I uh, <laughs> to deal with all these things at the same time, it's just sometimes it's so draining. Mm-hmm to get back into the studio and it's, you don't want it to be daunting when you walk back in and you start making stuff. It should be a relief. Yeah. So I guess maybe limiting and figuring out where you need to be in that process is, is a good thing. Yeah. And I don't even know really how that happened. I think apart from time passing and, <laughs> but I, um, I used to, I've let go of certain things. Like I know I can't do, you know, everything that I want to do. And, and that just kind of took a long time for me to. As far as the, the director of the program, Mm-hmm. What does your job entail? Thinking, well, kind of paying attention to the program and kind of what the program, what the students in the program need, how it folds in with the larger kinds of who you bring in to teach ideas and capacity. Yeah, specifically, I mean, I get to do. That's one of the things that I love the most. I mean, I and I think you're maybe like this too. Like, I love meeting people and I love talking with people. I love talking about art. It's just like the, I cannot even believe I get to do this. So I get to do that at Otis in a couple of different ways. As a, as the program director, I get to hire faculty, though that's, that's another story. Um, I get to (laughs) hire faculty for the most part, but I also, um, I run the lecture series that you came to speak for. And so I get to, you know, I get to invite people to come talk. And then I get to talk with the students about the artists who just came and 
Like that is every day. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm I, so excited. I'll say this and I want to talk more <laughs> about the lecture series, but I'll say this about like my opportunity to come in there and speak. It was the first time I had ever given a lecture. Mm. So it was one of, I got done with that and it was just so, I thought it was wonderful. I loved every part of it. And to be able to have the opportunity to talk to people about the work in a way that I thought could help, you know what I mean? Younger mm -hmm. artists figure out where they need to be in a process of an artist who has a gallery or how do you approach these things or just in general, those questions that nobody really wants to answer sometimes. Right. You know, after that, like a lot of those students have kept in touch with me. Yeah. We still talk and have yeah. conversations. I've done studio visits afterwards, like outside of the school. And it's been really great. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing for them, really. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I think that this, it speaks to your generosity as well. I mean, everyone who comes in, just, you know, as obviously everyone is different. Everyone has a different pro practice and a different process and a different, you know, way of being. But as I, I was joking, I was telling one of my students, it's not a joke, it's serious. Um, <laughs> some of, you know, some artists will tell me, you know, Sue, don't be crazy. I'm going to time my studio visits to be 15 minutes because the, the second it enters 15 minutes in one second, it goes into therapy and I'm not a therapist. And I'm like, oh, well, who asked you to be a therapist? <laughs> but, you know, you were really, I mean, you, you, are, you are an anomaly in that you were open to having people... Um, keep in touch with you. Not all artists are like that. And my students would come well, back. Well, not everybody has time either. Uh, but, you know, they would see you and they would come back to me like, I saw Jason at an opening. <laughs> and they were so like, it that's, was so sweet. I can't tell that's you. That's nice. It is nice. Yeah, it is nice. What, I think but what people don't realize is those students are the ones who are going to curate you into shows in like 10 years. So keep nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that's I mean, a general rule. Like when, when I went to school, it was like, oh God, we were just so competitive we were not nice to anyone. <laughs> well, I I did a show in New York at Art in General. Mm -hmm. And I remember being really nice to one of the volunteers that was in there just watching the space. And now she's a curator at one of the major institutions in New York. And she's called me and wanted to do the studio visit with the last show I did here in L.A. And it was just, I'm not saying you're nice to people to get something out of them. Right. But it's just a part of the community. Just extending it's nice to that. think of it as a community rather than like just cutthroat world well as soon as you do that i think you've lost something yeah well because those conversations that actually get you to the next sort of step in your own process don't happen yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about you have seen a ton of artists come through and give these lectures mm -hmm. and you're in a unique position where you ask the artists come in and without you don't have to name names here but like let's talk a little bit about the different types of artists and what works and what doesn't I'm going to have a sloppy answer for that. That's okay. Um, one thing that I should kind of um, preface this with is that our lectures are, in, in my opinion, fairly short. They're just over an hour. I'd say that's pretty common now. Is it? Yeah, it is common. I, I had oh. a friend who just went up to uh, San Francisco and gave a, a lecture, and it was just an hour as well, too. Oh, really? Yeah, and oh, then he did studio visits afterwards. It was the same thing. Hear. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm, I'm just used to, you know, I'm used to, like, Michael Asher time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think it That's depends on the, the timing for the, you know what? It also depends on the timing for the lecture. In, uh, in New York, when I was going to grad school, we'd have, they'd, they'd invite people in. In the evenings. In the evenings, yeah. because then it can go on for hours. Right. And that's that's more typical. And maybe this is, um, yeah, Give, given an hour, some people are really used to it, like you're saying, like that might be, I guess that's the new kind of normal. Um, but some people are not. And some, you know, the people who I oh. invite for the lecture series have really long careers. And so I tell them, I apologize profusely. I'm sure I did it with you. There was a good list of artists. I was like the 
the least experienced artist on that list of artists what? coming in to talk. That's not even true. Shut up. Um, it, it, it really was. I was very surprised. So. I looked at like who was coming after me. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, because the lecture series is meant to bring in um, people who have more... I don't know, like longer careers, for lack of a better way of, of maybe putting life, ex it. life experience, life experience. <laughs> right? <laughs> so for them, like it's really hard to kind of give an overview of their of like thirty years of work, and so I tell them, you know, you can just talk about one work. I don't, I don't care. So I don't tell them, like I don't organize it according to a theme or an idea for each semester because it's weird. Um, it's organize more on kind of like who's having shows so that the students can go see oh. the work in person rather than just in images slides or whatever all the time that makes sense um it's on who is really who i think is um really kind of bringing new ideas to the discourse of art at the moment it's you know it's very kind of varied and i bring in people whose work i don't like oh you do i do um why I do. because you think the students will be interested in it no um because i think it's important to <laughs> No, no, no. If I don't no, like the work, they care. will never no. be interested. <laughs> it, no, it's a, it's a, I try to bring in a mix of people and a lot of the times, at least one per semester. Oh God. There will be someone who's so, like, I So by really the way, dislike. if you're invited to the Otis <laughs> lectures, you could be the person Sue thinks is a terrible artist. I was just, just thinking FYI. like, they're going to be like, who, who is the crap artist the that was hell? on the list? <laughs> who does she think she is? Um, <laughs> if one of the criteria is bringing in people who have, are showing currently in museums or galleries, um, one of the things is that, just like kind of my random idea, this is kind of actually factual to some to a large degree. I get lists of you know people whose shows are coming up for the coming year, coming two years, or whatever from museums and galleries. Where do you get the list? I just con contact them. Really? Okay. Yeah, or I talk to people. Yeah, yeah. So if it was just by that criteria of who's having shows, it would be predominantly white men. Right? White male artists. Yeah. Because it's a school, I we you know it doesn't have to be a hard and fast rule. So I get to kind of bring in other people who are perhaps not a white man. Um, so there's always like we my TAs and I look at the list, and there's always like more men than women, of and so we try to make it kind of proportionate. We don't I don't try to get like the same number of painters, the same number of whatever, the same number of photographers. It's just a mix, and so. You know, this is why it's such a sloppy answer, because there's no kind of like checklist of, you know, I need to have this, this and this. But it's just about kind of making a program of artists who are really engaging and who have a diversity of practices within that group. You know, and the thing is, it's like the problem with like an hour and the problem with, yeah, I think I'm just going to blame it on the, the brevity of time is that the students are with them for you, with you and the artists for a relatively short time, I think. They are absorbing so much information they have to they have to think on their feet to kind of engage with the artist while they get the opportunity a lot of them to don't want to either no it's terrifying well yeah a lot of people <laughs> if lot you're not artists. outgoing oh god yeah and a lot of people are a little more reserved yeah it's hard what so what makes what makes an engaging lecture then when you have somebody come in what works right. So there's no, again, there's no format for there's it, There's no format for it. But, you know, I think that I have the luxury of having seen hundreds of artists. This is what I mean. And um, so I think that like every artist is a little bit different. Like, I think there is a kind of formula, like where people kind of go chronologically through their history, through of their, their history. Work. And, you know, the thing where the easiest thing to do is go chronologically. But some people will really craft their talks for the hour 
I mean, most of the artists, I think, make a special kind of like presentation for specifically the hour. for the because it's so short. I think, or maybe that they have like an hour program, <laughs> three right. hour program. I don't know, but um, for the for the students, and this is, I think, problematic um, sometimes for the students because it's such a short time. Like they are really captivated by the entertaining artist or the funny right, the artist. The people who are the charismatic ones. Yeah, and I tell them, you know, it's like every artist is going to articulate their practice differently. This is not like a entertainment school. You have to. You're going to be an artist, and a lot of artists are nervous doing this as well. It's not just you being oh, nervous it's to so ask nerve-wracking. the question. It's so nerve wracking. I had a lot of artists, and this I won't name names, but like uh, these really established artists who go all over the world to to for their shows and everything, and they would be, get so nervous. They would be so nervous they would have to pause. I would have like heart palpitations in just empathizing with because the you whole could see scenario. it. Yes, everyone could see it, but I really. It, but it was also, I mean, that's charming too, <laughs> that, you know, you can be you nervous can be in front of level students and, and stuff. Yeah. The, the reason I ask is I'm really interested in it. When I gave my, my talk, it was based on how I went about the practice. So the thought points on like yes. what makes the practice work or why right. I'm thinking about the work in a certain right. way. And I didn't go back chronologically. Yeah. Personally, for me, those are like the most engaging and, and, and it's because those are the things like the process you never really get. That's what you want to know, right? You can't see that when you look at the work necessarily, right? So, I mean, it's such a... Well, and if you do, you want to know if you're correct. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you have an idea, you want some validation or... Well, or yeah, we're not talking brushstrokes even. We're talking yeah. about like why these two things were right. put together. And those are like arcane things that no, and esoteric things that you just won't have the access to. It's like, that's it's, the wonderful thing about you. You're so outgoing and... You reach out to people, but not a lot of people are like that. And when you're at school, that's why we do these lecture series so that you have the opportunity for people to, to do have those that conversations without you kind of, you know, taking a leap forward. One of the um, there for uh, like the first like ten no that's too long for the first like eight <laughs> or nine years, I invited people without repeating a single person. And oh, that's wow. because we have lots of people. We we have we're in a there's city. There's plenty of people that are available. Yeah, and uh, so many artists live here, and so many people come in for so shows many people are willing stuff. to do it too. Yeah, that's it's so generous on their part. And so for the first like eight or nine years, I didn't invite a single person that had already come, and then I was just like, oh my god, it's exhausting. And so there are only a few people who have come back a couple of times, and when they have come back, like I was so impressed that these artists. Like they would just really craft it to be separate. It's not that they, obviously you're not talking to the same group of people because, you know, we're right. not going to repeat them within the same kind of class, student class body. But I was so, um, it was, you know, it really speaks to the generosity of the artist, not just to come, but to really be thoughtful. Like when you came to talk, I think one of the great things was not just you talking about your process and all of these things that an artist talks about and thinks about in their own kind of solitary practice, you were really engaged with the students and you were really listening and that whole kind of dynamic. I mean, that's a really, that's a really great thing. And it doesn't happen all of the time, quite frankly. I think it was a precursor to the show, to be honest with you. No way. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> thinking about like giving, talking about the work in that way mm. and putting yourself out there and having those conversations. It, it all happened to me when I came to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't that way in New York for me. It's something that I have grown to appreciate more. And the Otis lecture was in no small part. But I also feel like you're um, you're a person who reaches out to people a lot anyway. More in L.A. I didn't do it in New York. Mm, really? Well, it didn't work in New York. Oh, that's true. People don't that's want true. to have those conversations. Or they're like always wondering what the hell you want from them. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, let's, out of schools, 
let's talk a bit about you, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. You moved here, and I looked this up. That's the only reason I know this. In 1980 from South Korea. Mm -hmm. And did you move directly into California? Yeah, we moved to L.A. Your parents, Mm -hmm. somebody get a job? What's going on? It's a long story. That's a long, weird story. But um, we moved to LA, and then um, and then we like we were only here a year, and then um, we moved back east to the tri-state area, like Washington D.C., Virginia, uh, Arlington, Fairfax. Did we talk about this before? I don't know. Did you grow up there then? I, you know, this is the embarrassing thing, and this is why I was half joking, half serious about um, my fear of talking to you <laughs> is that part of like the podcast that you have the interviews that you've conversations that you've had with other people like I really enjoy that you are able to kind of converse about everyone's history and, right. and it's so important I know it's totally important but for some reason I am so ineffective and, and, and unable to I don't have a good kind of way of talking about my childhood I think I simply don't remember a lot of it like I think I mostly like I remember kind of be, Coming, who I am or understanding myself from college on but like my whole childhood I'm just a little confused so I don't know um we moved around a lot and then we moved back to LA so we were only in that and back east for I don't know a few years but and then you were back here back here did you finish high school here uh-huh and then you went to college here yeah you went to UC Riverside I did for undergrad mm-hmm. and then you did your MFA at uh, California I, Institute of Arts yeah yeah you decided to just stay here I did. I um I went to UC Riverside and it was a I had such a great experience because it was a small program. It was like there's even less obviously less to do in Riverside than there is to do in LA. And so And it, for people who don't know, explain where Riverside is. It's in, in the Inland Empire. It's a couple of hours east. I think it's even east of Palm Springs. No, I don't know. Well, by the way, everybody on the news, when you first move to LA, you'll get the weather forecast coming mm-hmm. up on the news and they're like, and the Inland Empire, it's going to be extremely <laughs> 300 hot. 300 degrees. <laughs> and I didn't know where the goddamn Inland Empire was for the first two years. I was like, what are they talking about? My wife and I would be in there. We'd be like, what is the Inland Empire? Nobody's explained this. Of course, we just didn't Google it. It sounds so regal. <laughs> I know. And it sounds so cool. It sounds so cool. It's not. It's not. Okay. So it's, it's clear to the east it's yeah. outside of los angeles a yeah. little bit but it's still yeah. considered properly within the the region yes and so you were there for undergrad for four years yeah and um and i did it i don't know it was this i don't want to digress into another thing but like i was meant to go to a different school but i i did my kind of school my college applications all wrong and so everything just kind of collapsed and then yeah so i ended up in riverside and i was really I, unhappy but because you didn't want to be there. You wanted to be at the other school. Yeah, I had planned. I got into the school that I really wanted to. What school was that? Uh, NYU. Oh. But then I messed up. I did every, I was reading this New York Times article about student loans, and I did everything that the, <laughs> the article said was the what poor families do, who didn't have the kind of infrastructure within their own family about how to do things with college So you did that to apply yourself. I did everything by myself, and I did uh, but I really messed well, up impressive. like the, no, but I really messed up the financial part of it. Well, you're a kid. So, uh, and then I took out like a loan from a bank. Oh, <laughs> it was ridiculous anyway, but I went to Riverside and I had really great teachers. It was a small program and I, I got to do everything. It was amazing. And then, um, I took a couple of years off. What did you know you wanted to do photography then? Or no? I, I, you know, it's really weird. I always wanted to be an artist. It sounds crazy because no, I did the same thing. Did you? Yeah. Yes. 
I mean, even, and I knew nothing about art. I, I wanted to be an artist before I knew what art was. Yeah. And I'd never been, I hadn't been to a museum till I was in college or something. Really? But yeah, but I really, I just. Wait, you grew up here and you hadn't been to a museum? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's right. <laughs> special. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very special. Yes. Very special. This so, is why I don't remember anything. So when you, got into, when you got into college, did you focus on that right away or not? Yeah, I was an art major and I have a minor in dance. <laughs> really? Like modern dance? Yeah. Did you finish? Yeah. So you did a lot of dancing? <laughs> yes. I had a minor. I know I had a double major. I was in theater. Oh, really? So art, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had to take a lot of dance too. Yeah. <laughs> I used to not ever tell anyone that for a long time. Really? And now it just kind of cracks me up. Yeah, I love dance. And it was, I think it was so useful for me. I, I think it was like, yeah, it was just, it was really meaningful and useful and just. Sort of broke you out of your everything. shell a little bit? No, it helped me just think in a different way. Like a lot of, I mean, it's, and it's not atypical. A lot of um, dancers become filmmakers, for example. They and do? I, yeah. And I think it has to do with like kind of learning about time and that translates well into film. And movement and mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I went to CalArts and that was a totally different experience because the program is so much larger, but it's, it's also. But you know, in CalArts, you didn't just do, you focused on, what was it, like uh, writing and film as well yeah. too, right? We, you can do like an inner school How does that work? Program. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Like, so you have to apply to a school and then if you are there, like CalArts wants, has always wanted to be an interdisciplinary school. Um, but it's very difficult to do that. You know, just in, in, any, in any way, it's just difficult to be truly interdisciplinary because... You're going to have a focus. You're going to have to have a focus. But it's really just, it's like, it's like any school having programs. Like we have a pr painting, photography, and sculpture. And it's really, and who has that? Artists don't work in that way, right? You can make... Um, whatever you want. Whatever you want. I can become a that, performance okay. artist. Yeah, but that being said... I quit, we've talked about this before, I quit doing paintings for many, many yeah. years to focus on doing sculpture right. because I needed to get really good at that one right, thing. Right, right, right. And I, need, I, th yeah. I needed to find my place in it. So right. when artists sort of spread themselves out across multiple mediums, mm -hmm. it, it works to find out where you need to be. Right. I totally agree with you. And that took me a really long time to It learn. took me a really long time <laughs> also. One of the reasons is we see so many artists that are shown in museums and institutions or in galleries that are doing 20 different things. Yeah. And that's just been like that for so long. But I think to me, the thing, the kind of institutions that maintain that division are schools and museums. And those are like largely budgetary issues, right? Like I can only hire so many people teaching photography classes oh. dependent on how many photo majors there are and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. There has to be a way to kind of budget. And, and so, and these are important things. Like you, grow up you know you you become an artist in a school you show in you know museums and stuff so these are like big parts of an artist's life that are divided but truly an artist isn't never really thinks oh well, not never but like a lot of artists don't have the pressure of just being you know a photographer or just being a dancer or whatever so yeah when i was at CalArts, i was in the school of art but also the school of film video i was in the live action program and the um, critical writing program and it was the first year that the critical writing program began and it was a small group of us that got to be in it and it's totally different from the way it was uh, the way it is now when it started it was a critical writing program because that's what you know it was in the mid 90s yeah critical writing theory, was the theory, thing. Theory, theory, theory. Theory, theory theory now it's like it's mu it's much it's different now how in what way 
Well, it's there's they have a lot of different kinds of writing. Right. It's not solely focused on. Yeah, you can write for the theater. You can write for, um, you know, fiction and stuff right. like that. But to go back to something that we were talking about and that you mentioned, like this thing where when I was in at Cal Arts and I wanted to do all these things, so I applied and got into all these programs in my heart I wanted imagined and I really really truly believe that my practice was going to be an interdisciplinary one where I'm going to be a writer I'm going to make films I'm going to make artwork I'm going to do all of these things and this is my practice I'm going to do all of these things and why don't I curate some shit too I don't know because I'm young and (laughs) what's that what you were talking about at the beginning right? yeah but you know at my one of my reviews you know at we have these kind of end of year reviews right and um, all of your mentors from your program have to come, or whoever your mentor is. Yeah. And because I was on all these dumb programs, I had a lot of... Very tense, big expectations. Yeah, but um, one thing that, you know, everyone was like really nice and everything, but one of the things that um, someone said to me that was really um, great <laughs> was, um, did you know Lane Relier? Uh-uh. He's a critic, um, and he's a critic. He's at Northwestern now, but obviously he was teaching at CalArts, and he's so smart. But he said to me, like, Sue, you know, it's great that you can do all these things, but what's the point of juggling all these things? Why are you trying to do all of these things? What's, what's so right. great about juggling? I know. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> how does it, well, I think the real question comes down to how does it get to the end goal of saying what you need to say in the work? Yeah. And what, know. what is that? How do you approach it? And I don't think a lot of artists don't understand that even now. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, I still I still struggle with it. Yeah, but I think you really nailed it earlier. Like I, and it could, because I totally agree with you. It, I needed to do all of those things to figure out where you to figure to be. out what I what really was interested in. But I had to do all of those things in order to get to this thing. And I think if you're a professor and you shut that down right away, it's doing an injustice to the student. Yeah. If yeah. if you don't allow them to explore and figure out where they need to be in the work. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would only assume I've never actually taught. <laughs> totally right. Professor. Lush. Right, right, right. Actually, my stupid, the, the head of the program used to call me Professor Lodge. Stupid SVA. I was like, you son of a bitch. That wasn't a compliment. I, I think it was, but it was sort of a, it just, it, it sets you apart from all the other students. So it makes it a weirdo thing. And well, you can't like shame someone for being articulate or interested. Well, exactly. <laughs> dumb. I'd rather be a smart ass than a dumbass. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> What the fuck? Your work you've been making for a long time here in Los Angeles. The work for people who don't know is photography, but it's layered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, do you want to give a brief description of what it yeah. is? I work in projects, basically. I don't, um, I make photographs and then I cut parts of the photograph away from the picture plane. And so most of, it's, it's almost always one or two photographs that make a, a piece. So when you say layered, it's sometimes two photographs that are cut and layered. They, they feel incredibly sculptural. Yeah, I mean, it's, I was interested in not, I mean, I think that some of my work is more sculptural than others, but I was interested in um, bringing a kind of shy dimensionality to the work. And, and um, I was interested in kind of the material properties of photography, but without kind of going necessarily all the way into sculpture. I was interested in the kind of discussions around photography, really. I mean, I'm not a photographer. <laughs> when I was to go back to CalArts for uh, one moment, I mean, I was I was never in the photo program. I was in the art school. In the art school, there's art photography. I think it's called photography and media or something now, and um, graphic design. And I was 
I never really studied photography. I took some classes, but I never thought of myself as a photographer. So I didn't really learn the conventions of photography, like how to handle everything, like everything right. that I teach. <laughs> and um, so I think that I, because of that, I, I had the kind of freedom to do things wrong, like touch the photo and stuff like that, that you're not supposed to do. Right. And um, at some point I was kind of tired of trying to learn the conventions of like, you know, you have to make a photograph and you have to keep everything clean and it has to be an, a small edition and it has to be, you know, organized in a particular kind of way. Like well, that this is, was uninteresting to me. This is one of the issues with photography in general, even right mm -hmm. now with people like, has photography reached a sort of an apex where, where does it go from here type thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I hear photographers talking about this all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you break out of the mode of photography? And right now it seems to be in Photoshop or digitally editing pieces mm -hmm. it's similar to what you did with your work but in the computer mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that there are I don't know it's hard to make kind of sweeping statements but state the obvious cliches you know we're at a time when there's so many images and you know the kind of production and exchange of images is so fast and accessible it's and completely easy. changed in a very yeah, short period of time totally changed and I really like what um, Russell Ferguson wrote in um, he wrote in this the catalog for the last show that he curated at the Hammer. What is it called? Perfect Likeness? The one with all the photographers? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think it was in his essay for the catalog. He, he wrote that, like, you know, this is a question that all photographers have to ask. You know, in this, in a, in a time when we're inundated with images, how do we make images? How do we make more photographs when we're surrounded by photographs? I think there was some crazy statistic like, you know, more photographs are made in one day than in the history of photography from its creation to right. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, just the kind of the, the velocity of production is so fast. Anyway, he was positing if that's the condition, then, you know, we have to not kind of bemoan the situation, but remember that, you know, while everyone can make a shopping list, not everyone can write poetry. So, you know, even though we have language. It's a great around, analogy. Yeah. So it's not like you have to do anything even necessarily different. I think it's it's the magic of art. Every, everyone does things differently. For me, the kind of things that I was thinking about from early on to now are still consistent. I mean, I think it's different. And I think it was really important for me when I started kind of cutting and excising, removing parts of the picture plane away from the entire photograph. But I think the ideas inherent to the work remain the same. One of the things that I... I think artists are so worried about the next thing mm -hmm. or what's going to be the next thing mm -hmm. that they're not focused enough in what they're doing in their own practice mm -hmm. and looking at the history to figure out how that sort of transpired and gotten to the point where they are now. Because yeah. those clues to figure out what the next thing are right. are by looking behind you and figuring out what's already happened right? and to know where, where you're in that process yeah, and right. how you fit into that, where right. your language is in that language. Right. I think that that's absolutely true. And that's hard work. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of dedication. It's a lot of, re it's something yeah. I didn't realize when I was in school. Right. And yeah. No one, even if someone told you that directly, you wouldn't believe that. <laughs> no, all of my research and sort of into the history of, in reading and everything happened when I got out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, the SVA program was built on like studio practice and time oh, in the yeah, studio yeah, and yeah, making yeah. and you had a, a lecture with mm -hmm. once a week and then you had a studio visit every other week with somebody. So you only had one visit a week. The rest of the time was just in the studio making or fucking around. Yeah. Cause you're in the middle of New York city. Right. And like, you know, so it takes like a dead, 
I always say this too, out of a class of like 30, I think maybe there's five of us still making. Yeah, that's so true. And that's the same for me as well. I mean, really? Yeah. Art is a long game. And I think it's like, that's why, you know, I think if you, like you said, you have to be invested in in your own history and the way that things are kind of coming together in order to understand um, the direction of your practice. So this is a good lead in Mm -hmm. or maybe not, but I think it's a good lead in. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about a way forward and looking at your own practice and the long-term game of everything. Mm -hmm. You currently, well, do you have a gallery right now? No. You don't, right? And you had a gallery that was here in Los Angeles and they closed. Mm -hmm. So as an artist who's been working for a very long time, your work is in the Getty, you're established. How do you go about working on new work and trying to get a gallery at the same time? Like that process has got to be, for me, it's daunting. And to think about it in those terms and like long-term, do you just like chill out and not worry about it and just make the work or how do you do oh, it? Oh, I worry about it. You do. <laughs> I, I worry about it's it natural. for a lot of different reasons. Um, the, the, the main kind of reason, I mean, I've, I've been really lucky to work with dealers who I really had a great time with. Maybe not in the end with one dealer, but um, but most <laughs> of the time, most of the time the working relationship has been really great, and the dealers that I've been that I've worked with are really different. Like they're really different, <laughs> just in terms of the way in every way possible. You know, the anxiety for me is that you know I haven't n- not had a dealer for a long time, and the great thing that a dealer can provide you with is exhibitions. Right. And just the ability to produce work, show it, and then mm-hmm. move on mentally to the next exactly. thing. Exactly. That's the thing. That's, That's the, the thing one and only thing. Not the one and only. That's the main thing. It is, is the main that thing. That I, I cannot, it's really hard for me to kind of move forward without showing it. In, into the next process. So yeah, what do you do? Or exactly. How, where do you go from there, right? Exactly. That's more frustrating than anything else. I mean, um, and so... I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's risky for people to be dealers too. I'm not saying that, like, I know that everyone kind of complains about, well, it's a business. Yeah. It's a business and everyone complains about everybody, but it's like, it's, it's risky for them as much as it is for you. It's not the best, the art world is not the best business, but it is a business, but it's not the best business. I have issues with my galleries sometimes and my galleries are great. Yeah. I love working with them. Don't get rid of me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I do love working with my galleries and all the people, the people who run the spaces that I work with um, in New York and in L.A. are good people. But I get upset sometimes. Of course. At the way they handle stuff or of the way course. that they're doing or the way they're not showing the work or they're not right. selling or something like that. And it's always good for me to pull back, mm-hmm. not be reactionary yeah. and realize it is a business. They've got to, to do something in a certain way to make money to keep the doors open. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just a fact. There's nothing that can you know temper that in any way for anybody, for the artist or the dealer. But um, yeah, that's just a fact. But at the same time, like you know, you when people are interested, they know where to go to to see your work. Exactly. And you don't have to talk to everybody who's interested in your work. You can have the time to work in your studio while they talk to somebody. I think the biggest thing I found with the gallery too is that people will actually look at you, pay attention to the work in a way that somebody else has legitimized sure. the practice because somebody's sure. paid attention to yeah. you. So here it is. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think is valid because there are a lot of artists and there are a lot of good artists and it's kind of a random shit show about you gotta start somewhere. who gets to get representation. It's nothing's like fair. It's like all subjective and 
luck and and it's random. all based on relationships sure yeah um but it's not easy to get representation either so yeah they should pay more attention to do you work on actively pursuing it or you just make the work i haven't um and it's because i haven't i mean i had a really difficult time with my last dealer the gallery that closed i had a very t- tough time and um it just made me kind of drain sh- it sh- yeah i just kind of shut down for a little bit but i was still making work um but it really made me kind of rethink I thought I had such a great relationship with the person, this person. (laughs) And, but you know, it was just business at the end. It wasn't a viable business for him. It was not a fair kind of ending monetarily and stuff like that. But, um, so what did that make you rethink though in the process? It made me rethink contracts. It made me rethink. Yeah. I haven't um, signed a contract with nobody does. Nobody does. And I don't know why. Well, because it's a a trust issue, right? I know, but it's still a business. Like you said, but we fall into it too much, like a handshake business. Do you know what are the things I do though? Whenever I, as far as money goes, mm-hmm. I make sure I chase it down and mm-hmm. I'm paid. And both of my galleries are really good. They pay me within a month of them right. getting paid. That's what it should be. But if they, there's any delay, I chase it. I, I don't let anything go out of hand too far. But like if you're selling an entire show, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, that was something that I didn't realize I had to do. <laughs> But I'm going to do it now. It's a good thing for all artists to consider. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I thought I was good at um, keeping my inventory, which is so difficult, quite frankly. Oh, it's a bitch. It's so time consuming. But now I learned that I've got to be even better at it. Really? So these kinds of like stupid things. I feel like in my career, I've done everything wrong <laughs> and I've learned from making mistakes. But, you know, well, I, I, mean, I eventually learn. But that's all of us, though, right? Yeah. Like yeah. for me, that's 90% of yeah. the way I figure everything it's out. It's for all of us. And that's why I like the idea that, you know, we should kind of talk to each other more about even the, just like the boring stuff of the business of art. Nobody discusses it. But it's just like the earlier thing that we were talking about with salaries and workload and, t- and, and teaching. No one talks about it and it's really skewed and different and, you know, there's no equivalency, but you can kind of figure out what you, what is I don't know, maybe not the norm, but um, how egregious you're <laughs> being treated if you know what, what your are co- colleagues are doing. Yeah. So it's the same thing. But, the, you know, as a working with a dealer, it's all the same. It's like no, no one signs a contract. Everyone relies on the dealer too much. Um, you know, I might say, you know, I'm not going to rely on the dealer. I'm just going to do everything myself and make sure you know, not to rely on them, but I'm going to, I know that I'm going to, to. you can't like, you can't spend your time doing that. Right. But I did learn, you know, chase it up a little bit more, keep a tighter inventory, stuff like that. Are you making a new body of work right now? I'm always working. You are in the studio all the time. Yeah. Are you going to hold it for a show at a gallery? Are you going to try to produce something yourself or what are you going to do? Oh, you know, this is so sad, but, um, I have a couple, I was going to do, have the fall show before the gallery Right around the time, around of the, gallery. the time, <laughs> right. but I I canceled the show and then the gallery closed, so I have like a full body of work. But then I'm always like doing something. So, but that body of work though too is a couple of years old now. Yeah. So oh. now you no, I mean, <laughs> I'm just but, but you've moved on like in the studio from that I, as yeah, well too. So I have to because if I don't, I'm just going to be, oh, be in stagnant. a fetal position in the corner. Well, right. So with you have a cobwebs. <laughs> What an amazing show that would be, though, to show the work from two years ago and then show the work now all as a single show. Oh, that would be good. It was a lot of work, though. It's, but that would be incredible. I would love it. I, it would be closure, and I would be so happy. So anybody listening? <laughs> it's amazing. By the way, the, the work is phenomenal. The work is really, really good. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you come in and talk. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, you and I get along really well. So yeah. whenever I see you at an opening, you're the first person I go to in that opening. I know. It makes me happy to see you. I know. Me too. So <laughs> I'm nervous and sweating, but I'm smiling. <laughs> That's cool. Sue, thank, thank you for coming and being on the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really wonderful. Yeah.